Welcome to Grace Church. We are at Grace here, a Christ-centered community intent on proclaiming the gospel, on making disciples, and on sacrificially serving Jesus. And we are excited to worship together this morning. Uh, a few notes for you just by way of announcements here. We have a membership class coming up this Wednesday night at 6.30. Uh, to be in line with the guidelines, we're going to be outside, but Pastor Mike will be teaching that. And so if you uh, are a part of this church, you're committed to the body here, but you haven't officially become a member, that would be a great thing for you to be a part of. That's this Wednesday night at 6.30. Also, we have baptisms coming up on August 2nd. And so if you are a follower of Christ, but you have never proclaimed that publicly and been baptized, uh, we would encourage you to do that. You can go online to let us know that you'd like to be baptized. And then lastly, we have parent-child dedications coming up on the 16th of August. And so uh, if you would like to do that, if you have a child that you would like to dedicate to the Lord, uh, you can also let us know online and we'll get in touch with you. That's the 16th. So as we uh, move into our time of worship together, would you please stand? I'm going to read from Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. If you would stand with me if you are able. Hebrews 1, verses 1 through 4 says, Long ago... At many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And Father, we praise you that you sent your son. We praise you that he died in our place, and we ask that you would help us to, to worship him as the one exalted above every name, exalted above the angels who made purification for sin. Help us to worship with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength this morning. Amen. Thank you. 
Bless the Lord, oh my soul.
standing and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Pastor Mike is going to be preaching this morning out of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and as you turn over there, we're going to read from verses 18 to 22. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we'll start in verse 18. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath and man has no advantage over the beasts for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? And you can have a seat and we'll pray together. Father, we we admit that We are all dust, and to dust we will return. You are creator, we are your creatures. You are holy, and we are not. And yet you pursue us, you run after us, you desire a relationship with us, you made us for yourself, and in Jesus you made a way to yourself. And so we praise you and we worship you. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's fullness of joy in your presence, and so we worship you this morning. We beg that you would give us that joy that comes in your presence. Father, we pray for the other local churches in our area and for your church around the world, that you would strengthen them. We think of churches where we've sent pastors out to, Grace Rancho, Grace Cherry Valley. We think of churches nearby that were closely partnered with Kindred and Mission Bible Church and and many others, Lord. We pray that you would strengthen them. Use this difficult season in our nation and our world to purify your church, to strengthen your church. Uh, Father, let the gospel go out clearly from those churches. And Father, we pray for also the churches that are not faithful to your word or that we don't agree with, Lord. We pray that you would bring them in line with the truth. We pray that the gospel would become clear and their witness would become clear and that we would be able to, to one day partner together more and more for the gospel of Christ. Lord, we pray also for our governing authorities, from the president to governors to mayors. Lord, we pray that you would save them. We pray that they would understand who, the, who Christ is and what the gospel is and that they would believe and bow their knee to Christ. We pray that they would have wisdom and that the things that they institute would allow the gospel to go forth clearly and freely. Father, we lastly pray for those who are in pain today, those here that are in physical pain or emotional pain. Lord, we ask that you would give them endurance. We ask that you would give them eternal mindsets. Father, more than anything, we ask that you would make us like your son through the pain that you bring. Bring whatever is necessary to conform us to the image of your son. And Lord, let it, let it make our lives a faithful witness to the truth of the gospel. May the gospel go forth. May you save people our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members who don't know you. Lord, save them. Give us lives that, that point to the truth of who you are and of the effectiveness of your gospel. And so we pray that you would do all these things and that you would change us this morning by the power of your word. 
open our eyes and our hearts to see the truth. And may it all lead to Jesus' glory. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.
Heavenly Father, we, we ask that this would be true of this place. God, would you speak and would your church be built for the end and for the purpose that your name be magnified and glorified and lifted high here physically in this place and with all who gather with us online. Father, would you be honored and glorified and praised. God, as we hear from your word, would we see you more clearly? Would we know you more deeply and love you more fully? We ask all this, we pray all this by the blood and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. When have you encountered injustice? How often do you think about death? Where does joy come from? Injustice, death, and joy. And one more question. Do you know how dependent you are on God? I have found some truths of sweet comfort for our souls today in Ecclesiastes 3, verses 18 through 22. Please turn there. It tells us that we are God-dependent in everything. God uses injustice and death and joy to show you how dependent on him you are. Ecclesiastes shows us how to live in light of dying. We're not in control. We can't figure this world out. Only God knows, and there is a vanity in self-indulgence. There is value in being content, and when we look in the wrong places, and only God satisfies. This is what we've been learning as we've been going verse by verse through Ecclesiastes. Someone said that Ecclesiastes is God's gift to help us live in the real world. That it gets under the radar of our thinking and it explodes the misunderstandings and the make-believe. That it jolts us to recognize that all is not as clean and tidy as the pretend world says. If you're living in a pretend world, Ecclesiastes gives you this fresh, unfiltered shot of reality. It shows us how to live in light of dying, how life, some of the themes, life, it's repetitive, it's elusive, it's short. Death, it's universal. Everyone dies. There's perspective in Ecclesiastes. This is how things are. Solomon is telling us this is how the world is. You see in Ecclesiastes the gifts of God. You see how you are to fear God, worship God, and enjoy the gifts he gives. In fact, enjoying the gift is a gift from God. And then we are to worship God. We are to to fear him, to obey the king. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, Ecclesiastes is about believing in Christ crucified, risen, and coming again, and about worshiping and obeying 
God as you learn to live in light of death. There's no other way a believer can take Ecclesiastes. It's about redeeming the time for Jesus and the gospel. It's about living with every ounce of energy and gusto God gives you for Jesus and for his purposes. If you're anything like me, you're asking the question, how can I have joy when there is so much injustice and so much death? Injustice is abrasive, it's like sandpaper. Death shocks us, it's an unwelcome intruder. Joy lifts you above pain and shock. What injustice and death is doing for you and I is it's schooling us in life. But joy gives us hope. In verses 18 through 22, Solomon is still explaining the poem from verses 1 through 8, which told us there's a God-centered time for everything. Time is on schedule. Clocks rule the world, but God has his own calendar and he is never late. He is always great. And things are going to work out the way he has planned. Zach S. One put it this way, time in God's hands graciously apprentices us. In verses 9 through 15 in this chapter, we saw that there is a God-honoring purpose for everything. There's a time and a purpose for everything. And then last week we saw that there is God-given justice for all. You might get it now, you might get it later, but there is God-given justice for all. And now in this passage for today, verses 18 through 22, it just tells you quite simply, you are dependent on God for everything. I mean, you don't keep your heart beating right now. You don't sustain your life. Life is a gift from God, and God uses injustice, and he uses death, and even joy to show you how dependent you are on him for everything. Injustice teaches us we're God-dependent. Death shows us we're God-dependent. And, and the inexpressible joy that we have in Christ as believers, if you're a believer, proves that we are God-dependent. The first point here is that injustice teaches us that we are God-dependent. In verse 16, we saw that in the place of justice and righteousness, there was wickedness, there was evil, because mankind is unjust and turned inward, and mankind has perverted justice and perpetrated injustice, and it's, isn't it painful to watch the inhumanity of image bearers against fellow image bearers? When you see unpunished justice, it crushes your heart, doesn't it? If it doesn't crush your heart, you might wanna go get your heart checked. I know we're living in the day of hiding behind a keyboard, saying whatever you want, but the tenderhearted, they know. Unpunished injustice just crushes the heart. Martin Luther King Jr. said, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Even Kareem Abdul-Jabbar got into the fray this week. Here's what he said, if we're going to be outraged by injustice, let's be outraged by injustice against anyone. Do you long for justice? Do you long for, for God's righteous 
justice and judgment. In verse 17, we saw that God is going to judge everyone in his perfect time. There's a time for every matter and everything, every work. God is going to judge. And then Solomon says in verse 18, so I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, all people, God is testing them so that they would see that they are but beasts. You're just all a bunch of animals, basically, okay? That's what you're being told. God is showing you. You're like an animal. Psalm 49, two times, says, man in his pomp, in his arrogance, in his pushing away God, without understanding, not understanding the way God has ordered the universe, not understanding the gospel message, is like the beasts that perish. The psalmist admits that. Psalm 73, verse 21, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. I was like an animal, unreasoning. This is how unbelievers are described in the Bible. 2 Peter 2.12, they are like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed. And so in the face of injustice, you cry out for God's justice. In, in Revelation 6.10, there, there's the prayer to God, Sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge? Jesus made it clear in Luke 18.8, God is going to give justice speedily, maybe not on your time frame, but in, in his time frame. Habakkuk 2.3 says, if it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come, it will not delay, only God knows. But your life right now is a proving ground. It's a proving ground. And this is not pass-fail, by the way, okay? It's not, well, I did more good than bad, so I get the pass. This life right now is apprenticing you in, in time-bound existence, and it is revealing your true character. It is, it is revealing your true relation to God. Like, really? It clarifies your identity. So this is why you need to admit your dependence on God and worship him and fear him and obey him. See, God's purpose is to drive you tethered to himself. <laughs> to drive you to himself while you are tethered to him. This is like, this is like my dog on her leash hiking hills with me. We're going where I want to go. Solomon is saying, let injustice drive you to God. It's like the blower blowing the leaves, and, and you're the leaf. <laughs> God is showing you how limited you are. Like a beast, like, like a pet on a leash, like an animal. Why is this being used? Why, why is he saying this? What he's saying is that God brings you to your senses. God shakes you out of worldly thinking. Let me ask you, can, can you admit your dependence on God? Can, can you admit, or do you fight it? Do you fight it with every ounce of energy in your being? I mean, do you know how good God is? If, if so, if you can 
Admit your dependence on God even before you leave this property today or before you go somewhere. Tell someone about how you are dependent on God and how you, in him, live and move and have your being. Like, give a brief testimony of how much you depend on God. Maybe give him a story of, of a deliverance that God brought about in your life when you were on the brink of death, or you thought all was lost. Share with someone today, really, before you leave this property, before you go somewhere, how dependent you are on God. It'll be good for your soul. You see, injustice should not, you know, push you deeper into your own mind or into the world. It, it should drive you deeper into the heart of God. It should drive you deeper into the word. Because injustice teaches us we are God-dependent. Now let's think about death. No one likes to think about death, but inevitable death shows us that we are God-dependent. Now, some of you are so young, you're like, that's a long way off, only God knows. Some of you are so old, you're like, it might be today, only God knows. You might outlive all of us. Look at verse 19, it says, what, what happens to the children of man and to beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. <laughs> you have dog breath. <laughs> Man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. What happens to people and beasts are the same. As one dies, so dies the other. Before you say, whoa, whoa, where are we going here? Look at verse 20. It gets better. All go to the same place. All go to one place. All are from dust, and to dust all return. So we're not talking about heaven and hell. It's about going back to dust. In chapter 12, verse seven, it says, the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Who is not saying that mankind and animals are equal. He is not talking about eternal destiny. What he is saying is all fleshly life dies. From the viewpoint of the living, because that's the only people that can make the assessment you and I are making the assessment. Yeah, we see that things die. People die. And so, your parent dies. And you're crushed. Son or a daughter dies. And you can't bear the pain. Your friend dies. You miss them so much. But even your dog dies. And your, your cat dies. Mouse died in our pool yesterday. Genesis 3.19 says, by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. Out of it you were taken. You are dust. To dust you shall return. And then look at verse 21. It says, so who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of beast goes down into the earth. We're talking about the spirit here. And it's, it's on the point that all of living creation dies. Again, not talking about heaven or hell here. You know that man's breath and life is different than beasts. We are eternal image bearers made in the image of God. But what he's saying here is there is no evidence of post-death existence from those who died. 
No evidence of post-death existence from those who died. People aren't coming back going, oh, I died. The person who writes the book and says, I spent 15 minutes in heaven, don't buy that book. It's baloney. Here's the deal. You, you can't find any empirical evidence of someone saying, here's what it's exactly like. You know how you know what it's like? From the Bible. That's how you know what God says about life and death in the word of God. That's how you know about post-death existence. Look, I will never forget the deaths that I have witnessed. Never. There's pain in death. There's a finality to death. So I'll never forget the times I've seen people die right in front of me whether by natural causes, due to injustice, whatever it is. I mean, I mean roadkill gives me the heebie-jeebies. You don't like death. Death teaches you you are dependent on God. You are not self-sustaining. You are dependent on God for life and breath and the timing of your life. The psalmist says in Psalm 104 verse 29, God, you hide your face, they're dismayed. You take away their breath, they die. They go to dust. That's how life is. And so as I'm thinking this through, I'm thinking, well, what does that make us? Like, how are we in relation to God? Because we are not keeping ourselves alive. We are not, contrary to public opinion, we are not the master of our fate. So what is it like for us? We're like a battery-powered thing like a, a battery powered car or, or toy or something where there's a limited capacity, okay? And, and we need to be recharged often. Like you can't just say, you know, I've come to this point in my spiritual life, now I'm coasting. I've hit altitude and now I'm coasting. You think that way as a Christian, you will start to sink and God will humble you. You don't get to a certain point and coast. You run down to empty again and again and again. That's why you need to be filled and refilled and recharged. So a Christian who's trusting in the finished work of Christ needs to be, keep plugged into Christ, the power source. Now, the, the best part about this is that once you're a Christian, Christ holds on to you. You think you are holding on to him, but he is holding on to you. He's all powerful. I mean, this is like a, a deep sea diver tethered to a boat. Or this is like an astronaut on a spacewalk and they're tethered to the spaceship. And you don't want to get detached from the lifeline and drift or hurdle to inevitable death. This is how you would think. Like, I'm, I'm so dependent on God. And for the believer in Jesus, the hope lies in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Verse 32, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Speaking of death, Romans 8, 18 says this, the sufferings, you're all suffering, the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. D.L. Moody said someday, they're gonna tell you that Moody is dead. Don't believe it. 
that day I'll, I'll be before the throne. I'll be more alive than I've ever been. Derek Thomas put it this way, death for the believer is an entrance into the sunshine of Jesus' immediate presence. I like that picture. An entrance into the sunshine of Jesus' immediate presence. Paul says in Romans 8, verses 35 to 37, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he goes on and lists this whole litany of things that we might think could separate us. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are, what? More than conquerors through him who loved us. Do you have this hope? Do you have this hope in light of death? I mean, injustice teaches you you're God-dependent, and so does inevitable death. Well, let's talk about joy, shall we? Look at verse 22. Nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work. That's his lot. Interesting. This is pointing us to joy in God, inexpressible joy, proving that we are God-dependent. This is the idea of rejoicing, enjoying, be happy, Literally, throw a party. You know, social distance, of course, right? But there's nothing better that you should rejoice in your work. And the rejoice is the repeated refrain in Ecclesiastes so often. In Ecclesiastes 3, 10, 11, and 12, nothing better for them to be joyful and do good. Chapter 2, verse 24, nothing better than to eat, drink, find enjoyment in your toil. It's from the hand of God. Chapter 5, verses 18 through 20. Find enjoyment in your toil, in your lot. God has given you power to enjoy. Accept your lot. Rejoice in your toil. It's the gift of God. God keeps you occupied with joy in your heart. Chapter 8, verse 15. I commend joy. There's nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful in your toil all the days that God has given you in your life. Chapter 9, verses 7 to 9, eat your bread with joy. Enjoy life with the wife you love. This is your portion in life. Now mark it down. What is Solomon telling you to rejoice in? What is he telling us? Someone tell me. What does it say right there? In your work, literally your lot, it's your portion. It's whatever God has given you to do. The beautiful babies among us, you know what God's given them to do? Just be cute, right? But you've been given some kind of task. If you're not a baby anymore and you're walking around, you got kids, young kids, you got to obey and honor your mom and dad, right? Some of you have much more uh, heavy responsibilities in life. Some of you are like, no, I'm all done with my responsibilities. I have no responsibilities. Well, you have a responsibility to be responsible with your lack of responsibility. You know what this is telling us? It's telling us that you should quietly trust God whom you're dependent upon. The Old Testament hope was quiet trust in God who delivers. Psalm 23, 3, he restores my soul. That was the hope. And the hope was to return to paradise. That everyone would live in safety. The Old Testament way of putting that was they'd all be under vines and fig trees. I got three fig trees at my house. They give you some good shade and some good figs. Quiet trust in God who delivers. And as you're quietly trusting, you do things like Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, beware of all greed. 
your life doesn't consist in what you possess. Like he says in Matthew 6, 34, don't be anxious about tomorrow. It's like Paul says in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious. Pray. This is like Romans 12, verses 11 and 12. Don't be slothful. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Patient in tribulation. Constant in prayer. You pray dependently. This is like 1 Thessalonians 4, 10 through 12, where it says, aspire to live quietly and mind your own business and work with your hands and behave properly towards unbelievers and not be dependent on anyone except God. 2 Thessalonians 3, there's a report. It says, we heard that some are idle among you and they're busybodies and they're not doing any work. Exhort them to work quietly. Don't be weary in doing what is right. This is all because at the end of verse 22, there's this question. Love this question. Look at it. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Why should you just enjoy what God has given you to do? You don't know what's coming next. Death is the overriding reality here. And yet your life is still going. You're here. uh, You're loving life, so you need to rejoice. Think about it. Death will not come any sooner in your life than God has ordained it to come. And death comes when your work is done, not before or after. Robert Murray Machine put it this way, the longest lifetime is short enough. It is all that is given you to be converted in. In a very little while, it will all be over. In light of that, just work for God with joy. Like people always want to do something, right? People want to do something right now. Well, Christian, if you're a Christian, do good toward all. Do God's will revealed in his word. Um, Do the next good thing that you find to do. Love everyone. Be an agent of mercy. Be gracious with your words. Be kind. Do all in the name of Jesus. Do everything for the glory of God. Just make the most of every opportunity that God gives you. Some of you are going to say, I don't have a spot. Well, God knows what he's doing in your heart and your life, and he brings things into your life so that you will not trust in yourself, but in God who raises the dead. So just seek to serve him in some way. Like Make that the driving passion of your life until you die. Don't retire from serving God. Serve him with every ounce of your being. Do all the good you can to serve God's purposes. Be, consider yourself like this. I'm on God's wait staff. I'm a waiter, I'm a waitress, I'm a, I'm a helper. I, I'm, just, I'm just available to serve. Whatever is needed. Whatever is needed. Be content with that. First Timothy 6.6 6 says there's great gain in godliness with contentment. Like dependence on God and, and being content where you're at in life. Paul talked about this in Philippians 4. He says, I've learned to be content. You're learning now to be content in any and every circumstance. He says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What he's saying is I can get through it contentedly because I'm dependent on God. When you think about the injustice in the world and you think about the death that's coming, 
It is kind of hard to think about joy, isn't it? Some of you might even feel a little bit guilty for being joyful. Can you, can you get joy from weeping? I think about Nehemiah 8, verses 1 through 10. He told Ezra, they said, bring the book. And he read from, from God's word for many hours. And the result is the people worshipped God and they wept. That doesn't seem like joy, does it? But they were weeping because the goodness of God and the grace of God and they, they heard the judgments of God and they, they worshipped God and they wept. Someone has said that we will not have revival until Mr. Wet Eyes and Mrs. Weeping get back into church. Right now you're just sweating, I know. But George Whitfield, when he was 23 years old in Bristol, England, he realized that most of the pastors in the Church of England needed to be regenerated. They weren't believers. And he's like, I'm not preaching in the churches. I'm going outside. And he went outside and he preached in the open field above the coal mines to rough, cursing, immoral coal miners who were living underground. And they came up out of the coal mines to hear Whitfield preach in the open air like this. I don't think he had a tent, though. The tent is amazing. I love it. But he saw their faces, and they were all covered in black soot. They'd been in the coal mines. But as he's preaching, he starts seeing these white lines on their faces because of the tears as they were hearing about Jesus who seeks and saves the lost, as they, as they were hearing about Christ, the, the Savior, the friend of sinners. They were convicted of their sins, and they, they longed for forgiveness, and they, they wanted to be saved. There, there was repentance that God had granted them. And the, the reason I tell you that is because, you know, joy and weeping can go hand in hand. Joy is not easy, it's not flippant. And my friend Steve Lawson said it this way, no one giggles through the narrow gate. No one skips through the narrow gate. We, we suffer a heart wound. And we come with great humility, humbled and broken to the Lord who alone can restore. And you see this scene in Nehemiah 8. And they're weeping. And then you see this in Nehemiah 8.10. This word of assurance, this word of comfort. Do not be grieved. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So injustice is abrasive and death is shocking and even conviction of sin can be heavy upon your heart. I mean, Psalm 90, it says, God, you set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days passed away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end. The years of our life are 70 by reason of strength, 80. So if you're over 80, praise God, you're amazing. My parents are over 80, and they're so still going. They're, that's young, isn't it? I mean, that's like the new 60, right? But the span is toil and trouble, though, and they're soon gone, and we fly away. And then these words, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Heart of wisdom. However many days you've had so far, how many years you've had so far, however old you are right now, let me talk to the kids for a moment. Kids, I know that it 
is really hard right now to be a kid. Because you can't go out and play with all your friends. You can't do all the things you want to do. I mean, we have two young kids living in our home, one and four, and they keep asking me, how come we can't do this? Or how come we can't see so-and-so? And And I keep going, because of the germs, because of the sickness. And they're like, what? These are tough days to be a kid and no playmates. It's cool having brothers and sisters, though. I mean, students, you're inwardly struggling. You have no hangouts with your friends, hardly. Adults, how often have you felt like you were at the breaking point in the last, you know, five months? Like every other day, every other, what, every other, on the hour, what? You do, that's how you feel, right? You, you're lacking contact, or you're stirred by injustice, you're shaken by death, and you're almost afraid to be joyful. And you feel like you're sinking in despair, and you, you feel like you're like a dried up riverbed. That's why I love 1 Peter 2 that just speaks to us life. Verse 19, it's a gracious thing. When mindful of God, that's you, dependent on God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. When you do good and suffer, you endure gracious thing in the sight of God because to this you've been called. Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's what you and I do. Dependent on God, you continually entrust yourself to God. What did Jesus do? It says he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might And while I was a kid, I uh, received as a gift several times these model cars, you know, a little box with all these, you know, a bazillion pieces in there and some glue that make you dizzy. And the thing is, on those model cars, I would try to put them together and there was always a box full of pieces that I didn't use left over. It was like, I can't, I don't know what, there's too many instructions. Life is an unsolvable puzzle. Life is God's creation, not yours. It's a model where you got a box and there's too many pieces and you cannot figure it out. And you have all the pieces of your life given to you by God. And in real time, things are coming and going. There's seasons passing and changing. And only God knows where everything goes and in what order and in what time And why? Just rejoice. Rejoice right now that you're alive and that you have something to do. Rejoice is more than, hey, make the most out of injustice and death. It's God is in control. Seek your identity in him. God can give you overriding joy in the midst of your pain. He just floats you, basically. He buoys you, right? Like a buoy out in the ocean. Unsinkable joy. I remember when our kids were younger, uh, those swim trainer kickboard things, I don't know what they're called. They're just, those, the, the piece of foam that won't sink. I, I used to love just like grabbing the sides of it and just pulling it down under the, under the water and then letting it go. It's like, poosh, right? And it just goes up to the, goes up to the top. That's like, your joy in Christ, I mean, it can't be sunk. 
because Christ is greater than all. And you haven't seen him yet, but you believe in him, you love him, and so you rejoice, as 1 Peter 1 tells us, with joy inexpressible, full of glory, receiving as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Let's pray together with thanksgiving. Lord, thank you that injustice and death humble us, makes us even wonder how we could have joy. But Lord, you know we're dust and we can only take so much. And I thank you, Lord, that you're so great in daily life that injustice and death and, and joy keeps us tethered and, and appropriately dependent on Christ in everything. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand if you're able and join us as we close our service? Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea. A great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven stands, no tongue can move me.
goodness in the gospel. If you want to know more about Christ, we'd love to talk with you. If you want to know more about growing in Christ, we'd love to talk with you. Uh, today, as you leave the service, if you would please exit to your right playground side and please exit the tent as soon as you can so people can clean out. Uh, but you don't need to leave the property. Uh, feel free to fellowship with one another and um, give a testimony of how much you depend on God. We're going to end with Hebrews 13, 20, and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.